The following program contains important but graphic material. These topics are designed to foster discussion, but may be objectionable to some. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Exploited Crimes Against Humanity. This program is a training program on human trafficking, sextortion, social media exploitation, and child pornography based on actual cases. Our mission is to eradicate human exploitation and bring predators to justice. Now, here is the host of the program, Opal Singleton. Well, hello and welcome to Exploited Crimes Against Humanity. We are going to have a very different show today. Um, Today, well, not today, but this month was the 10th anniversary of Million Kids. We were incorporated, and I was not involved in it in any way. Everybody says I'm the founder of Million Kids. That's just not true at all. Uh, It was founded by my pastor, Carrie Decker. And it was uh, incorporated on July 11, 2008, as a 501c3 public benefit nonprofit organization. And Carrie was on the board of directors of a just an amazing organization called Rafa House, R-A-P-H-A. Uh, they generously allowed me to join in with them, and now I'm on their board also. And they're just really an amazing group of people out of Joplin, Missouri. And they had uh, set up, since about 2001, they had set up um, safe houses in Cambodia. And Kerry had joined them and liked that, and he decided he wanted to start uh, a second uh, 501c3 for the idea of being able to protect uh, businesses and things like that that wanted to get involved in a foreign country and set up businesses out of Cambodia. So he incorporated that. I met him, I believe, probably in about 2009. He and I are never really sure of that, but I believe that it was in the fall of 2009. And uh, he had this at the time. It was basically a shell. He wasn't running a lot of business out of it. And uh, I'll just uh, today is is going to be a unique show because I'm going to share with you a little bit about my personal journey as a child and as an adult. People say, why do you do this? How did you get into this? Who are you? And like that. And I never, ever share my story. Um, I just think that it's important that I understand how what people are going through, but I don't normally share my story. But today I am going to kind of back you up and share some of my childhood and why all of this means so much to me. But uh, going back now to me and kids, I met him, um, my husband and I um, had started going to his church, and so because of my international interest, I have over three million frequent flyer miles, I decided I wanted to get involved with their nonprofit that was out of Cambodia. And Carrie opened the door and allowed me in there, and I, I think he had no idea when he met me because I am an avid researcher. Before I went to Cambodia the first time, I had six notebooks of information on Cambodia. I tried to get Carrie to read it with me, and he's like, are you out of your mind? <laughs> anyway. But that's the way I function. Whenever I get into something, I want to know everything about it. Once we started going to Cambodia, what I realized and Carrie realized was that there was a real need for being able to create businesses in Cambodia where the girls could go back to their village and and earn the money 
uh, to be able to be self-supporting. In that culture, if you have been trafficked, you can't just go back to the village. It's, um, you know, they, they don't want any part of that. They're, you get rejected. But if you own a business and have a self-sufficient income, all of a sudden all those ethics go out the door and you're welcome back. So we started coming up with ideas like in jewelry and sewing and, you know, a variety of other kinds of businesses, um, agriculture and like that. And so we decided to start Million Kids as a way that you could create businesses over there. So that's the, the beginning of Million Kids. Now, I'm going to get deep into this in a few minutes, but um, what, what just basically what happened is in 2011, uh, I met an undercover officer that had started the Human Trafficking Task Force, and that was really where million kids began to take off. So I'm going to do something I have never, ever done in my whole life. I'm going to just kind of back up with you a little bit and kind of give you some insight about who I am. Uh, I do a lot of public talking, but I never have ever publicly talked about who I am. And I'm going to trust that with you today just to give you some idea. I was born in Wichita, Kansas. I always kid that I deserve reparations for that. (laughs) My mom said I got my first tricycle and headed for the border. Man, I hated living in Wichita, Kansas. It is boring. I was there for 17, 18 years, and I never got the hang of that deal, you know. Somebody said when I was six years old, they came up to me and said, what do you want to be? And I said, a Californian, and I'd never been there. It's just in my blood. Can't explain it. It's part of my DNA. It is who I am. And so I grew up in Wichita, Kansas, much against my will. Anyway, I was born into, like so many of you out there, a very dysfunctional family. And uh, my family loved me. Uh, It was not that I was not loved. There were actually too many people loving me, but they loved me. And uh, so I was loved, but it was very dysfunctional for a lot of reasons I'm not going to go into. And uh, when I was seven, my life changed a lot. My mother had a series of... um, nervous breakdowns, and my life changed. And any kind of expression of love or engagement or hugging or uh, I'm, I love you, we're proud of you, all went away. And uh, that has formed my life all my life. Um, just one of those things. One of the things I have learned through years and years of counseling is it is not the life event. It is how you deal with the life event. And um, I so much appreciated what Tyson Deaver said when we had him on. He was the young man that was hit by a concrete truck and was uh, uh, paralyzed. And he's like, I can change what happened to me. In a flash, his heart, his life changed. And he said, I'll never be able to change what happened to me, but I can change how I choose to deal with it. And I have spent most of my life trying to understand what the dynamics were at that point in my life and figuring out how do I deal with that. And I believe that it is that part of that journey that helps me understand so many victims that are out there and so many both males and females that struggle because we all have this ideology that we all should be, you know, uh, you won't even know what I'm talking about, the lever to beaver. (laughs) 
99% of you won't have a clue what I've just said. But anyway, we all want to be in the Aussie and Harriet, you know, everything's wonderful and I'm wonderful. Life is not that way for almost everybody I met, and I am no different. By the time I was 13, my entire family moved out. And uh, they all went away. My brother moved out. My mother moved out. My father moved out. They still lived there. They just didn't come home. And so that is a formative year. You know, one of the things that I have learned about this journey is that things that happened to kids when they were uh, 12, 13, 14, 15 years old will forever form their lives. I um, I met a man, I don't even know if he's still alive now, he was up in Utah, and his name was Dr. Jorgensen, he was out of University of Utah, and um, I met him in a counseling program up there, and I, I'll always admire him, he was a tremendous counselor, he just excellent at his skills, and um, and, you know, there's counselors and then there's counselors, and there are counselors who really hone their skills, and he was, uh, Dr. Jorgensen was one of the very best, and uh, I will never forget that that he would share with me is, you know, this happened to you, you can't change it, but you can change what you decide to do about it with the rest of your life. And so I have spent the rest of my life uh, at 13, and, and where I was going with that with Dr. Jorgensen was that I was in a seminar with him one time that he gave that really was powerful to me. And there were probably... I don't know, 70 people in the room, let's say. And he said, how many of you had a life event? Something that was just so staggering for you that your life would never be the same. Maybe your parents divorced. Uh, maybe one of them died. Maybe a grandparent died. Uh, maybe a father uh, had uh, lost his job or there was a big financial thing. And several people raised their hand and he said, how old were you, 12, 13, 14, or 15? And in every case, it was those special years. And so it was a, a tremendous lesson to me because this happened to me when I was 13. The first uh, catastrophic event happened when I was seven, but the next one happened when I was 13. And when you were 13, I, I can remember my parents saying to me, well, as far as we're concerned, you're grown. You're responsible for yourself. You're on your own. I remember thinking, I'm not grown. <laughs> Are you kidding me? You know? I'm like, I don't want to be an adult. I'm 13, you know. And it was very, very life-changing experience. Now, God put some people in my life who I've just re-met up with after 50-some years, and it's been really, really cool. And that was um, the uh, Reverend uh, Ralph Fry and his wife was Leanne. And they were young. He was good-looking. I'm 13. He's probably 22, I think. And his wife is just beautiful, and they get married, and I live in a very poor little part of Wichita, okay? We were not affluent in any way. I think our whole house was 900 square feet and had three bedrooms. Anyway, um, but they had this little church house that they got married and moved into, and she moved a great baby grand piano in there, took up the entire house. She couldn't even get in the kitchen. It was cool. (laughs) Anyway, but they took me in. You know, that was the first people who believed in me. I was the kid on the Youth for Christ bus every Saturday night. I was sent off to church camps. I never even knew the name of the church, you know, anything to get rid of me. And uh, and so it was 
a powerful thing that happened when I was 13 because of the fact that somebody believed in me. And these people sang. Oh, they were great singers. Even to this day, I saw them. They're like, uh, I don't know, 70, 80 years old now. And, you know, they shall rise up on wings of eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And those songs gave me hope. They gave me joy. They gave me a, a chance to believe that there's something good out there. And that song that now is famous because of Elvis Presley is, When you walk through a storm, hold your head up high and don't be afraid of the night. And I would literally, night after night, I was terrified living in that house alone. Nobody came home, you know, and I would go out and walk in the dark and sing that song because it was better to be outside where you could see than to be inside and not know who's outside. So it was a, a crazy, crazy time in my life, but God gave me people who believed in me. And they used music to help me understand my value and my worth and to give me hope and give me joy. And that is really the key today in working with a lot of these victims and foster kids and runaway kids and homeless kids is they need hope. They need that warrior. They need that anchor relationship that can come in and put their arms around them and say, I believe in you. And that is just so hard to come by. You don't have to sit outside of a motel to get the cartel to fight human trafficking. Find a foster kid, sit down, and let them know how proud of them you are, and you can change the world. That's the reason why the motto for me and kids is, I believe in you. We are up against that break. I'm going to ask you to stay with us, and we're going to be right back, and we'll keep going here. So thanks for joining us. This is Opal Singleton. The organization is Million Kids. Be sure and follow us on Facebook, and we'll be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Seduced, the grooming of America's teenagers is the most important book a parent will read this year. Human trafficking is one of the fastest growing crimes in America. Three out of four victims are U.S. citizens. Most are our young people who have been lured into prostitution by a boyfriend or girlfriend or hook up with a newfound love on the Internet. Sometimes they are victims of blackmail as a result of sending a revealing photo. Sometimes it's catastrophic. Opal Singleton, president of Million Kids, has written a powerful book for parents, educators, civic leaders, and first responders about how predators use social media, apps, chat rooms, video games, and the dark web to access, groom, recruit, and exploit young people. It is truly a must-read for every parent, grandparent, and teacher in America. Seduced, the grooming of America's teenagers will help you understand how technology makes an innocent teen vulnerable to predators and how to talk to teens to keep them safe. Priced at $15.99 plus $4 shipping, Seduced can be ordered at millionkids.org. Share this with everyone you know. You count. Tune into Interrevolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Helen Hillocks, Todd Benton, and Chris Reeves. 
Interrevolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to exploited crimes against humanity if you have a question or comment please send an email to opal at millionkids.org that's o-p-a-l at millionkids.org now back to exploited crimes against humanity here again is opal singleton well hello and welcome back to exploited crimes against humanity um you can follow us at Million Kids on Facebook. I'd invite you to do that and invite you to go to millionkids.org and uh, follow us there and donate if you're willing. And please be willing to share this show with everyone that you have. So I am doing something I have never, ever done today. It's a little bit scary, but I also believe God's leading me. So I'm going to wade right in and let's just do this deal. I'm talking about myself personally and my own personal life, which I have never, ever done publicly. But the reason I want to share this with you is it is the 10th anniversary of Million Kids, and who would believe that I would find myself here in my retirement having this life? And when I look back at my life, I realize that God has prepared me for this work. And so that is why I'm sharing it with you. So as I just shared with you, when I was 13, everybody moved out. Um, There were a lot of things going on there that has to do with their life, and I'm not going to discuss that publicly, but they all had, they just disappeared, okay? And uh, I believe that one of the things that's important in dealing with difficulty in your life is forgiveness and Whatever they were going through, um, you know, their lives were very difficult, and I believe God has forgiven them, and I have forgiven them after many, many years of therapy. And so each and every one of them did their own thing their own way, and they were gone. And I found myself at 13 all by myself. Uh, had no car, um, you know, that they would occasionally come and go. They would leave food or leave food money. I had a charge account down a little cafe. And uh, for the most part, I was on my own. Now, you know, I didn't want that for myself. I wanted to be somebody, and I knew and I recognized right then and there it was going to be much more difficult for someone like myself. And I made mistakes just like anybody would as all kids are starting to figure things out. Thank God I did not have social media at that point in my life. Because I get darn creative, as you might imagine. I can, you know, that's one reason I do the work that I do. I understand where kids come from. You see, at 13, all I wanted was a family who believed in me and I wanted to be loved. And I understand that right to the very core of my soul. I was thinking about that today when you look at all these um, dating sites that are out there. They all start with sex. You know, I'm warm, I'm cuddly, I like to, you know, and I'm looking for somebody that likes to, and you're like, you know, you want to learn my name first? (laughs) And so when you start to see all the sex that's going on out there on these dating sites, what they're really looking for is love. And there's nothing wrong with that idea. I mean, it is the very core of who we are as human beings. I was no different at 13. You know, my mom wanted me to date. I didn't want to date. 
you know, I just wanted a family to it, to really care about me. Well, fortunately, Ralph and Leanne Fry kind of came in and became my family, and I made it. I I did a lot of things. I got engaged in youth groups. Uh, I memorized the Book of Mark, the Book of Hebrews, in the Bible. I competed back in Indiana and won. Uh, I was made Youth for Christ Queen, got to go to uh, Washington, D.C., and I tried very hard to be a straight-A student. You know, it was one of those, I, if I did everything perfectly, maybe people would come home. I even tried cooking for a little while and gave that up. I th- if I remember, I was living on fish sticks and orange juice. <laughs> anyway, and uh, so anyway, uh, it changed my life. Between 13 and 18 it was a very difficult time in my life. But I, I didn't get involved sexually with people. I didn't. Uh, I wanted to be, I knew I wanted to be somebody and be strong. I just didn't have anybody to hold my hand and help me through that. And so, you know, I did all kinds of crazy things. I did start turning to some alcohol there for a while. I remember I rolled a car once drunk on the way to church. So I had a mixed set of values, but that happens when you raise yourself, you know. (laughs) Anyway, uh, so at 18, I moved away. I graduated. I didn't go to my graduation. I never went to a ball game, never went to a dance. You know, I was working two jobs. At 16, I, by the way, I moved out on my own because, and, and I, it, I was gone over a week before anybody knew I'd moved out. Anyway, um, and so I decided I was going to go off. I had a boyfriend at that point, and he was going to college in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. And so I decided, well, that looked good. So I moved to Bartlesville and went to college for one year, one semester. And I'm like, no, this isn't California. <laughs> And so I moved back to to Kansas, and then I moved to Kansas City for a little while. I'm like, no, this isn't California either. I can't explain this California thing. You know, California is crazy today, but I had it in my DNA, and so you had to follow it. So I came to California when I was 19 years old. I only had 40 bucks. I had a boyfriend that was coming out this way. And uh, he loaned me his car while he went overseas, and I started life down in Escondido. I knew nobody, absolutely nobody, but I was a Californian, and I was so proud, you know. And uh, anyway, uh, I'm working two jobs, you know. I'm selling uh, Avon so I can get cash up front to buy gas, and gas I buy 50 cents at a time. That tells you how long ago that was. Anyway, and, and I began, you know, I always worked. And I always tried to go to school. I always wanted a degree. It was very important to me to have a college education. Now, that is something that's very important to my parents, even though they didn't give me the structure to make that happen. But I do believe that right after I came out of the womb, the first words instead of I love you was you will go to college. And uh, all my life, it's you're going to go to college. Now, nobody was going to give me any means to get there, but I knew I needed to go. And uh, so I went to colleges everywhere. You know, in the end, I went to 13 colleges over 26 years before I finally got my degree. And I wouldn't have got that if without my husband, I guarantee you. In all honesty, you know, I traded a personal relationship to get my statistics done. But otherwise, I'd never have that degree. <laughs> anyway, uh, I cannot do math. But <laughs> <laughs> just ask my boss when I do my time cards. He's like, God, I'm glad you can do all this other stuff, but why, why do you have this problem here? Anyway, um, so, so what happened is, I mean, California, I get a job, I do well, 
And, you know, I really then start playing out all of that trauma that happened when I was a kid. You know, at this point, I am 19, 20, 21, and like that. Now, I did meet someone that just really helped me a lot. And his name is Reverend Richard Holes down in uh, Escondido. And he and I are still good friends. We've been friends 50-some years now, and uh, and his wife is Marsha. And literally, when I got to California, I almost ended up in a group who used drugs and all kinds of things. And I said, no, I want something better for my life. I am not using drugs. And he helped me early on through that. And we have been friends for many, many years. But what I did come to realize is that the decisions I was making when I was then 19, 20, 21 were really very poor decisions. Now, I'm not going to say it was ever in the life, okay, as we know it. But let me tell you, I understand life when sex is a weapon or sex is uh, done outside of love. It's a fascinating thing. Our entire society is geared around sex without it being love. It's, you know, uh, I think of all that twerking going on out there, and I think, well, that's interesting, but the reason people want to have one-on-one sex is they want to be able to connect with another human being. And when that is done in a way that is using another person but not loving them, both people go away degraded. And, you know, so I truly understand what goes on in this world with all these victims. And and it is a powerful thing that God has placed me here because I can see where, where it is very important with young people that they begin to understand. And I think one of the most important jobs you can do out there is to be a strong parent. I think we take that as, you know, well, we're a parent, but we have a job, and we have this, and we have that, and we got to have one a house, and blah, 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 blah. I believe parenting is the most important mission of all time, because for one person in your life, you are making a difference for all their lives. You know, I have seen many, many people who are screwed up in life and whose parents have screwed them up in life, who they've been sexually violated or they've been, you know, beaten or physically violated, but they still come back and want the approval of their mother or their father. And so that relationship, mom and dad, if you have children, Please make that the most important thing of your life, including your marriage, and realize these people are mimicking your behavior. You know, I I was raised in an environment, don't do as I do, do as I say, you know, and I'm like, really? And that does not work because it is very important, parents. You realize if you're out there having an affair Your child's going to figure it out. They have your DNA. You are connected at the soul. You have another human being, which you created between husband and wife, and they have your DNA, and they can sense things you can't even believe. And so when you decide to walk on the wildlife, you are taking your child with you. They are not exempt from your um, role model. Okay, and so you cannot play this game of, okay, I'll do this, but they don't need to know. That isn't going to work. 
the most important thing you can do is realize that for all your life, one person is going to be that person that you made between you and a man or a man and a woman is going to have your DNA and you will be connected to them for the rest of your life. And that can either be the most powerful, positive relationship of all your life or it can be a lifetime of pain and grappling on their part and yours. I I see people on their deathbed and their child comes to them and they're trying to forgive mom and dad, trying to do away with the pain, but they still are mom and dad. You know, we, we have friends all of our lives, but our family is who we have that DNA and we will never, ever get cut off from them. And so I, I do ask you to stop. You know, we we look at all these relationships and we go, well, how do we help a foster kid? What a foster kid's kid needs is that anchor relationship. They need that mom and dad that believe in them, that are responsible people that are there. Do not make your child a foster kid, even emotionally, even if it isn't physically. Because it is very important that if you're going to share your DNA with another human being, that you put your arms around them and love them and let them know, I believe in you. We're up against that break. I'm going to stay with us here and we're going to be right back. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Seduced, The Grooming of America's Teenagers is the most important book a parent will read this year. Human trafficking is one of the fastest growing crimes in America. Three out of four victims are U.S. citizens. Most are our young people who have been lured into prostitution by a boyfriend or girlfriend or hook up with a newfound love on the Internet. Sometimes they are victims of blackmail as a result of sending a revealing photo. Sometimes it's catastrophic. Opal Singleton, president of Million Kids, has written a powerful book for parents, educators, civic leaders, and first responders about how predators use social media, apps, chat rooms, video games, and the dark web to access, groom, recruit, and exploit young people. It is truly a must-read for every parent, grandparent, and teacher in America. Seduced, the grooming of America's teenagers, will help you understand how technology makes an innocent teen vulnerable to predators and how to talk to teens to keep them safe. Priced at $15.99 plus $4 shipping, Seduced can be ordered at millionkids.org. Share this with everyone you know. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips is an insider's glimpse at a life from a psychological perspective. It's a look at what matters to us. Why do we laugh? How do we cope with stress? Are men and women really that different? What is it about our relationships? How are they formed? How they work out? And why they sometimes don't? Every week is something new to engage you. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll turn up your perspective on life. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com.
are listening to Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. If you have a question or comment, please send an email to opal at millionkids.org. That's O-P-A-L at millionkids.org. Now, back to Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Here again is Opal Singleton. Well, hello and welcome back to Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. I appreciate each and every one of you that follow us and uh, share with us. And uh, I look back over my life and I'm just sharing with you a little bit today. I'm not sure really why I'm doing this. It just feels like it's the right time and the right place to do this. And I have never, ever done this in my entire life and certainly not in the 10 years that I have worked with me and kids. I hear survivors stand up and tell their story. And I think, you know, there's a lot of that stuff that doesn't need to be said. What we need to do is understand what we've learned from it and begin to use that to help others. And that is why I do the work I do. It is easy for me to understand as I'm sitting with some of these kids or even the parents and understanding the heartache and what they're dealing with and like that. So anyway, I came to California. I'm 19, I'm 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, just made, you know, all kinds of crazy uh, decisions in those periods of my life. And I did go to college. I did have two jobs, but it takes a lot to keep me out of trouble. And I was able to still, you know, um, make a lot of mistakes during that time. Now, I did a lot of good things right, you know, in the survival. And I was surviving. I had no money, uh, uh, no family, nobody to really support me or encourage me on except for Reverend Hulls and uh, and Marsha. And I so much appreciate them being my family because um, to be in the foreign land, even if it's the foreign land of your dreams, you know, is a, a challenge to find your way to survive in a place like Southern California when you have no money and you're single. And I made a lot of mistakes. And it is those mistakes that helped me understand and do the kind of business that I do. I did get married at 24 uh, there, and it was something that should never have happened. I look back now and I realize that it was one of those fantasy relationships. And it really is one of those things that I start to understand the power of grooming. And it is those experiences that helped me write the book, Seduce the Grooming of America's Teenagers, because I understand that all of us want to be loved, and that makes us vulnerable. And of course, what a predator is looking for is available and vulnerable. Well, I was available and vulnerable and, um, and didn't have a lot of foundation to really keep me going right. So, you know, you add to that today social media and you really in- realize just how available and vulnerable our children are. Well, that marriage really should never have happened. Uh, it was a situation where I was really looking for someone to take care of me. And that's what I talk about in Seduced. If you're in a relationship where somebody has to take care of you because you are not emotionally strong enough to take care of yourself, then, you know, you're doing a disservice to that person and yourself because nobody can make you happy. You have to know yourself and be strong enough for yourself to be happy on your own because a relationship should not be an intertwining of something. It should be two healthy people meeting together, being able to share. And I share that with you because if you find yourself particularly needy and you're depending on a man or a woman to take care of you, go to counseling and get some help because you're victimizing yourself. 
is what is happening, and you will get taken advantage of, and I recognize that. Well, that marriage ended in divorce, and when I was 27, my life changed dramatically. I was working, and one day a man showed up at my desk, and I will never forget that day as long as I live. My day, my life changed completely, and that was Del Singleton, and I, I loved him from the first moment I ever laid eyes on him. And I always know that one of the things that I loved about him was he had the gift of acceptance. And it is an amazing thing that I try to share. This is his legacy, not mine. And uh, he just accepted people where they are. I had never met anybody like that. Everybody was always competitive or they wanted something from you or, you know, I'll meet you halfway or one of those kinds of thoughts. But somehow, from the very moment I met him, I could feel he believed in me. And my life changed dramatically. That is why our slogan is, I believe in you. For the first time in my life, I had a human being who thought I was okay, you know, that that I had talent, that I had ability, that I had uh, the capability of being whatever I decided I wanted to be. And uh, certainly it needed supervision. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you raise yourself, you don't really have a lot of discipline <laughs> anyway. So he carefully took that on. I'm sure it was quite exciting in the early days of our lives. He was an engineer that uh, was very, very organized. And, you know, I mean, you know, he, he got our budget. A budget? I had to live on a budget, you know. I had never thought of that concept, you know. By Tuesday, if the money's gone, well, then you get out and hustle some more. That's my motto. So we certainly were two people that had nothing in common, but he believed in me. And we spent 44 amazing years together. Now, I will tell you the man had the patience of Job, but he also had a sense of humor. And that's the other thing that he taught me over life is, you know, don't go off on anger. Anger is so destructive. You know, you're going to have times in your life when you don't agree. Find things to laugh about with that. And we learned very early on that we could solve a lot of our differences by humor. And he had a great sense of humor, by the way. But I share this with you because it is so powerful to have someone in your life that believes in you. And that, that is a lot of the work that I do. It was because of Dell, you know, we went through our lives. I, he, I was in international uh, marketing. I was often never home. I lived in at that time in Ogden, Utah and worked in Paris, Luxembourg and Frankfurt. And he was doing his work out of Detroit because he developed automotive components. And so we spent a lot of time apart. But we were never apart emotionally. We would call and every morning, every night. We didn't have texting and email in those days, you know. And we actually met by accident one time in the Chicago airport. He was going up the escalator and I was coming down. It was just like in the movies. It was so cool. And it was really one of those things where we connected and we made each other first. And we did get counseling and a lot of it, you know, and that was good. Quite frankly, I had a lifetime to unpack. I had nothing in my in my childhood that would contribute to a healthy marriage. 
you know, I, I didn't know how to give and take love because that was shut off when I was seven. Uh, I, you know, the idea of coming home was just traumatic because by the time I was 13, there was no use to go home. And so I would roam the streets. I still drive 5,000 miles a month. And a lot of it is probably because that's the easiest way for me to feel safe is that way I, I don't have to go home and wait for somebody to come home. And so, you know, these things that happen to you, you all have events just like I did. There may be different kinds of events, but it shapes who you are. And we, you don't arrive at my age with a lot, without a lot of baggage, but you learn to work through that baggage. You learn to laugh. You learn to forgive. You learn to grow up. You learn to have discipline. You learn to be responsible. And more important, you learn to share that with others. You know, uh, there's nothing more crazy than somebody who can't give, who's not generous, whose whole life just revolves around them. And, uh, you know, as most of you know, I lost my husband this last year. In fact, it was 16 months ago yesterday that I lost him. And, you know, while it is by far the greatest pain of my life, and there is no way I can, I can define that for you, it is also, you know, every day I get up and say, thank you, God, for giving me Del Singleton. You know, thank you for my home. Thank you for my friends. He came. He happened to come with an amazing family, and they accepted me in. I remember Del went out and bought me a new outfit for he introduced me to his mother. <laughs> that was not an accident anyway. But amazing family, and most of them are gone today. All of my family is gone. It's just me. And it's my turn now to get back to the generations to come. And, you know, when I first got involved with Rafa House and Million Kids, this was about 2009, and Dell came right alongside with me. He knew that it, this was my calling. And even though we're retired and it probably wasn't what he wanted to do, he probably wanted to still just do the RV thing and the cruise thing. You know, he came along with me. He even came to Cambodia twice on dialysis. I had to live over there for four months once for a situation they had. And uh, he came, you know, and uh, stood beside me. I believe in you, babe. You can do this. Even if you're in a foreign land solving a very hard problem, you know, and that is, by that time we had email and he's right there cheering me on saying, no, you can do this, babe, and I'll support you and I'm praying for you and I'm right here for you. And, you know, as I got deep into me and kids, it took a lot of my time. And I would say, honey, look at this case. And he would share it with me and we'd pray together about it. And, you know, he was no fuddy-duddy. We were not religious zealots in any way, but we both know that we exist because of the graciousness of God and God forgives us and God can forgive the people that we work with. And so it has been an amazing journey. I miss him greatly. But he is the one that was my anchor relationship. He gave me the belief in myself, and he taught me that the most valuable thing that a man can be is a strong, moral male with good boundaries who believes in others. It is a a difficult time in my life, but what an amazing legacy. And I share that with you because I would ask you to look at your own life. What is your legacy? You know, what can you contribute? 
What can you make a change in other people's lives? We're all coming to an end. He came to his end sooner than I wanted and with a great deal of pain. But he stayed with me right to the end. And he left me this statement right here on my desk. What a man this was to the smartest, most beautiful, hardest working woman in the world, Lovedell. Didn't cost him anything. But one day I came home and that sign was made and sitting on my desk. And it sits here less than eight inches from me as I broadcast this show. The most powerful words you can give to another human being. I believe in you. We're up against that break. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Seduced, The Grooming of America's Teenagers is the most important book a parent will read this year. Human trafficking is one of the fastest growing crimes in America. Three out of four victims are U.S. citizens. Most are our young people who have been lured into prostitution by a boyfriend or girlfriend or hook up with a newfound love on the Internet. Sometimes they are victims of blackmail as a result of sending a revealing photo. Sometimes it's catastrophic. Opal Singleton, president of Million Kids, has written a powerful book for parents, educators, civic leaders, and first responders about how predators use social media, apps, chat rooms, video games, and the dark web to access, groom, recruit, and exploit young people. It is truly a must-read for every parent, grandparent, and teacher in America. Seduced, the grooming of America's teenagers, will help you understand how technology makes an innocent teen vulnerable to predators and how to talk to teens to keep them safe. Priced at $15.99 plus $4 shipping, Seduced can be ordered at millionkids.org. Share this with everyone you know. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. If you have a question or comment, please send an email to opal at millionkids.org. That's O-P-A-L at millionkids.org. Now, back to Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Here again is Opal Singleton. Well, hello and welcome back to Exploited Crimes Against Humanity. I am sharing with you today my personal story, which I have never done. But where we're at in this story is, is about 2009 when, you know, I had only gone to church a little bit in my life. Uh, I, as a child, I went all the time as a refuge. But in adulthood, I I did get baptized up in uh, Utah with uh, Jim and Doris Manson, and they were amazing people. And and uh, and and good good friends, but that church got in a fight, and they fired Jim, and it was a life changing event for me. You know, I can remember flying into Rome, crying over that stupid little church in Ogden, Utah, and uh, I I caution people that are out there that are listening to this because you get in these faith based organizations and you get in a fight, and I tell you, you have no idea the major impact you have on another person's life, and especially if that child has had, if that adult has had a bad childhood. For me, it was like being part of a a child of divorcing adults. 
and I said I would never go back to church, never. Uh, you know, I believe in God. I prayed. Dell and I prayed. We'd walk and talk, but Dell wouldn't go to church either. <laughs> you know, he did come to my baptism. Anyway, uh, in 2009, one day he looked at me and he said, you know, we were driving down the road and he said, babe, I think we need to start to go to church. And I said, what the hell? <laughs> I couldn't believe he said that. He had never gone to church with me. Anyway, I said, well, you know, I'm not getting involved in that church because I've already been burned with how that goes. And uh, so anyway, we started going to Carrie Decker's church. And uh, and I, I really appreciate that. And so for several months, we went in. We went in late and left early. I'm like, not getting mixed up in this deal. You know, burn me once. That's okay. I learned, you know. Anyway, it was a fascinating thing because part of my story is one month after he he started uh, going to church with me. He found out he had kidney cancer. And we went to the City of Hope. We didn't tell the people the church, and they operated. And he actually died at that point right before my eyes. And they brought him back. He was out a long, long time. He ended up getting 10 pints of blood. It was catastrophic, and it it was a a life-changing event. As all of a sudden, everything you take for granted every day of your life in a relationship is threatened to go away. And our lives changed forever. He was never quite the same man after they brought him back, but he was still a very strong and good man. He was an amazingly strong man, by the way. Um, and so what happened is that we continued on. And, and um, so that is when I got involved with Carrie and the um, and uh, Janice, his wife. I don't, I don't want that to come out wrong. <laughs> Carrie and Janice Decker, the pastors. <laughs> and, anyway, and uh, so that's when I started going to Cambodia. And Dell came along with me on that journey, even though he was fighting his own medical things. And Dell and I have hour upon hour. Dell was in the middle of writing his own book on human trafficking. The point is when he realized how important that was to me on a long-term journey, he came alongside even though he wasn't well. And, you know, I'd go, we would get off the phone with a parent, you know, that had just some catastrophic thing happen. And, uh, and I'd go, what do you think, babe? And he just had such tremendous insights, you know. And But he supported me even though we were heading towards the twilight of his life. And uh, we went through many, many things. I had a big case in 2012 that changed my life. You'll often hear me occasionally talk about it where a 15-year-old girl was uh, recruited in a school here in Riverside and sold into the Crips for nine months. And I met her family the night that I talked about that. And their family said, Opal, I just want you to be her eyes and ears so she doesn't have to tell her story. I don't know what it's like to be traded to the Crips for nine months. I do know what it's like to be violated, exploited. I do know what it's like to make bad decisions yourself and pay that price. But that girl's life had to be horrific, and that changed my life. And I sat with Dell and said, what do you think? And as Dell's health began to deteriorate over the years, I said, babe, do you need me? Do you want me to stop this? And he's like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. You keep going. And even right to the end over the last two or three years, you know, he even though he was sick, sometimes he'd wait in the car while I'm out speaking because he wanted to be there, but he couldn't go in. And uh, it's just an, a tremendous thing in my life over the last years with me and kids. You know, I look back at what we've accomplished. We've now trained over 250,000 people 
I'm an instructor at three schools of USC. Me, who went to 13 colleges over 26 years. I told him, I said, you know, I have a degree, but it isn't going to be from any place you ever recognize. Anyway, uh, the LA Fire Training Academy, amazing people. The Riverside County Anti-Human Trafficking Task Force. Who would believe that all those undercover guys would let me in at my age and that God would arrange that, that I can... I can work with the Riverside County Sheriff Department, that I can set with parents, I can take calls from kids, and I can understand the journey that they've been on. I so much thank Aaron Wolf, who invited me to start this journey. I thank Sergeant John Sawyer, who includes me every day. I thank Carrie Decker for having the vision. I thank Reverend Hulls for helping me so that I didn't self-destruct. God knows I tried many, many times. Thank you, Ralph and Liam Fry, for being there all my life. Thank you for Susie Carpenter that makes this Me and Kids Facebook page happen. She's the one on her break in Amazon. We all have other jobs. We don't get paid for this stuff. She takes her break in Amazon, and she posts this stuff there several times a day, and we have the finest Facebook page in all of America. Thank you to Mona Lumpkin that come alongside of me when Dell died because, you know, he did. The, he was the administrator, and Mona stepped in. Well, I will tell you that when Dell died, I really thought about shutting down me and kids. I wasn't sure I could keep this up, you know. But all of you have come forward and you've helped me. And so many of you have donated and you have supported this work. And we're moving forward. We're moving on. We've got some great programs coming up. I know that if the, my heart of hearts, we are, that God prepared me for this work. And I intend to continue to execute it. But I will tell you, I can't do it without your help. And I so much appreciate each and every one of you as donors that come through, you know, and and send those checks in. When I go to to the post office, I am greatly humbled that people would send money. But every time you do, I literally spend over $2,500 every month just in gas getting to schools and teachers and and people like that. And, you know, we we train law enforcement all over the nation. We train school kids. We train in churches. We train corporations. We will try to train. I do this 70 hours a week now. I am almost through with my next book. I look forward to having Societal Shift come out, Societal Shift, A World Without Borders, A Home Without Walls. It is dedicated to Del Singleton and his legacy. It is hard to write that without his input. But I have all of you out there in me and kids are part of my family. I want you to know how much I appreciate you, how much you all mean, all your donations, all your prayers, all your support. This is hard work. Where we are going in social media is downright scary. And we must get that book out there, and we must keep going regardless. So we're going to go forward. Thank you for the past 10 years. Thank you to all the people that made this happen. I believe, I know for a matter of fact, there are many lives that are changed. I get calls all the time from parents who say, I almost lost my child. I caught my child just before, blah, 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 blah. I get calls from kids who go, oh, my God, I have that naked photo. I'll never do it again. So it is making a difference. If you've had a hard childhood, like so many millions of people out there, search your soul, get therapy, and try to use your experience to help others change a life. 
And the bottom line is, just as Del Singleton taught me from the bottom of his heart, the most powerful four words on earth are, I believe in you. Thank you for your support. Thank you for following me and kids. We'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Please join your host, Opal Singleton, for another edition next Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll have another important discussion next week.